out of power, or one with no power but high principles, which one would you choose? Well, most, I believe, would choose the leader without principles. It amazes me that people will continue to vote for a dirty, immoral, crooked politician because he's a man who can get things done. It's a sad but true fact that many will choose power over principle. Having said that, we must also admit that no one wants a clean, moral, honest politician who can get nothing done. And it's important that a leader have both principles and power. And that Jesus had. His principles were spelled out in the Sermon on the Mount. And his power is pictured in Matthew 8 and 9, where we see illustrated his power over disease, his power over nature, his power over sin, and his power over over death. Last week we witnessed his power over disease as we saw him heal a leper, a centurion's servant and Peter's mother-in-law. Before Matthew moves to illustrate the next realm of his power, he gives us just a brief interlude that reveals the effect that Jesus and his power was having on people. We pick up our study in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side. And a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. The miracles were attracting so many people that Jesus decided to leave, to sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where he could focus more on teaching and spending time with his chosen disciples. But before he could leave, Matthew tells us of two men who indicated a desire to go with him. The first was a scribe who was impressed with Jesus' teaching and power and impulsively declared that he would follow Jesus wherever he went. Jesus responded by saying, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was cautioning this would-be disciple about the cost of discipleship. You know, Jesus had the power, but he didn't promise pork to his followers. He didn't have any himself. He had given up the realms of glory to come to earth and had little in the way of earthly possessions. He was, in fact, homeless. Would the scribe be willing to make similar sacrifices, if needed, to follow Jesus? 
Did he understand that following Jesus would mean this world is no longer our home? It's merely a temporary dwelling place. We're not told whether he continued to follow Jesus or not. Then another disciple, wannabe, said, Lord, I want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. Now, whether his father had actually died or not, we're not told. (laughs) And it's very likely that he was still very much alive. And this son was simply expressing a desire to honor his family commitments before following Jesus. And our Lord's response is a bit shocking. He says, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now, obviously, the physically dead can't bury anyone. So Jesus must have been saying, let the spiritually dead bury their dead. Still, that sounds cold and and heartless. But didn't Jesus also say, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me? Was this disciple willing to put Jesus first? Matthew doesn't tell us. Now, I'd like to think that both of these men got into the boat with Jesus, but I doubt it. They were impressed with Jesus' teaching and his power over disease, but they hadn't yet seen the full extent of his power. So Matthew continues, illustrating Jesus' power over nature and his power over evil. I've combined these under the heading, Power Over the Elements. And we look first at Jesus' power over the natural elements. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he himself was asleep. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea Obey him. It had been a busy, busy day. And the Son of Man, who had no place to lay his head, soon found a cushion on the back of the boat and fell sound asleep. After the disciples had rowed or sailed partway across the eight mile wide Sea of Galilee, a storm came up that threatened to swamp the boat. The waves were breaking over the sides of the boat, and the boat was filling up with water. Several of the disciples were fishermen by trade, but they even became afraid. They all thought they were going to perish. And Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. They woke him up. And according to Mark's account, 
They said, don't you care that we're perishing? (laughs) I have no idea what they expected Jesus to do. But what he did blew them away. He rebuked them for their lack of faith. And then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea. And it became perfectly calm. You know, his rebuke for their lack of faith is, is very challenging. They had enough faith to ask for his help, but not enough to simply trust him in the storm. That's significant. He rebuked them for that. They asked for his help, but they didn't trust him enough just to be confident that you would care for their needs. You know, how often do we cry for help, ignoring the fact that he's already there? And even though things might look a bit frightening to us, he's in control. And things can be scary when you're out and about. Last time, I'm going off script, honey. Last time... When Blake and I rode into Pennsylvania, where we're heading in two days maybe, a storm came up that was just crazy. And we were on a little narrow road with trees all around us, no place, no side to pull off, couldn't see anything. Leaves and branches are blowing and falling across the road. And we're just going along and right in the middle of nowhere, here's this little driveway. We just pulled in it. Didn't know where we were, but there was this house, and they had this raised deck, and nothing was under it. Perfect place for two motorcycles. We didn't knock. We didn't honk. We didn't say anything. We just stayed there until the storm quit. And then we left as soon as we could before they could call the authorities. Christ was there. He provides for us. Sometimes we have to remember who's in the boat or who's on the bike with us. He's there. He's there. You know, I believe it was Greg Grant who taught us to sing, With Christ in my vessel I can smile at the storm. Was that right? You remember that? Do you, Darren? Yeah. And the kids just loved it because I don't, I don't remember the faces he would make. Something, whatever. Well, the disciples hadn't yet seen enough of Jesus' power to have that kind of faith. But we have. We have. When the wind and the waves obeyed the voice of Jesus, the disciples marveled. And they asked, what kind of man is this? I find that a very interesting question. And it seems to follow a fascinating thread that, that Matthew has woven into his account. Back in verse 20, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, which was his favorite way of referring to himself. It was a messianic title. We find it in the Old Testament. But it was veiled just enough to keep from inflaming, misguided messianic expectations of the Jewish population. But Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. And the disciples then asked, well, what kind of man is this? The answer 
is going to come from a most unexpected source as Jesus demonstrates his power over at least one of the supernatural elements, the evil element. Verses 28 through 34. And when he had come to the other side into the country of the Gadarenes, two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by that road. And behold, they cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now there was at a distance from them a herd of many swine feeding. And the demons began to entreat him, saying, If you're going to cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Be gone. And they came out and went into the swine. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the waters. And the herdsmen ran away and went into the city and reported everything, including the incident of the demoniacs. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they entreated him to depart from their region. Jesus had just calmed the tempest at sea. When he was confronted with a real tempest inside of two men. And it's interesting that, that Matthew's account of this incident is the shortest of the three we find in the Gospels. But it's the only one to tell us there were actually two demon-possessed men who greeted Jesus and his disciples when they landed on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we're not exactly sure the location of the country of the Gadarenes, which is also called uh, Gerizines or Gergesenes. It was apparently somewhere on the northeast shore, an area known as the Decapolis or the Ten Cities, an area with a heavy Gentile population. And how these men had come to be demon-possessed, we're not told. But we are told they were demon-possessed. Apparently, just as God's Holy Spirit can indwell and empower us, so can demonic spirits indwell men. And somehow, the demonic spirits had indwelt these men and had given them supernatural powers. Mark and Luke tells us they were so strong that no one could subdue them. And when chained and shackled, they could break free. They discarded their clothing and were living among the tombs and the caves, terrorizing anyone who happened by. But when Jesus came near, they bowed before him and cried out, What have we to do with you, Son of God? They answered the question, What kind of man is this? He was the Son of God. And the spirits knew it. They also knew that someday he would condemn them to the bottomless pit and eternal torment. 
their immediate concern was that he was going to torment them before their time of judgment. Now, apparently, he had already told them to come out of the men and had asked them their name, to which they replied, Legion, because they were so many. But before coming out of the men, they made a request of Jesus. They sought his permission to enter into a herd of swine that was nearby. Now, I don't fully understand the reason for the request. Mark says that they didn't want to leave the country. And Luke says they were afraid Jesus was going to send them to the abyss. In Matthew 12, 43, we're told that when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but can't find it until it inhabits another man or perhaps a pig. Whatever their reason, Jesus gives them permission to enter the swine and they do so. But that doesn't seem to be a good move on their part. Apparently, the swine didn't like them either. And all 2,000 of them stampeded down the bank and perished in the sea, most likely sending the spirits to the waterless places to which they did not want to go. Whatever happened to them, however, is secondary to what happened to the men. According to the other accounts, when the townspeople came in response to the herdsman's report, they found at least one of them clothed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, you'd think the townspeople would be thrilled. They'd been terrorized by these men for years. But they valued their pigs more than the man. That sounds so like our culture today, does it not? When we get more upset over abuse against animals than we do the selling of body parts of infants. They valued their pigs more than the man. And they entreated Jesus to just leave. Get out of their region. They didn't want him around because he cost them something. Now, I find it ironic that the Son of God, who has power over disease, nature, evil, Sin and death has no power over the will of men. He can do anything except force us to accept him. He didn't say, listen, guys, I'm the son of God. You're going to accept me or else. He just left. They told the Son of God to leave, and he just left. He didn't have the power, apparently, to violate their will because he chose not to do so. 
And he has chosen not to exercise his power over our will. He wants us to choose him, to choose him freely. And if we don't, he'll leave. He'll just leave. The Son of God, who wants to come into our life, will just leave if we say, go away. But if we invite him in, he will clothe us with his righteousness. He will welcome us at his feet. And he will accept us. No matter our past involvement in demonic things, he will accept us as his disciples. This he will do as long as we have counted the cost and made him first in our life. Recognizing that without him, we can do nothing.